Nice chilled out start to this Tuesday, January 25th edition of Real Talk. That is, uh, of course, Ayla Brooke and the Soundmen from their release on Fallen Tree Records. Uh, Desolation Sounds. Love that track right there. Uh, good morning or good afternoon. Good evening to you whenever this show finds you. Jesperson here with Hoyles and Brooks. We're going to be talking to a Calgary member of Parliament, George Shahal, in just a moment. Had a whole bunch of people show up in front of his house uh, in demonstration over the weekend on Sunday, and uh, we'll pick his brain on that, plus get an update on that uh, controversy around him removing election flyers out of mailboxes. I know that a lot of you are going to be curious for an update on that in about 10 minutes time. We have an opportunity to go one on one with the brand new uh, president and CEO of the CFL's Edmonton Elks. This isn't a football show. It's not necessarily a sports show, but uh, Victor Quee's got an, an amazing story and he's got a big job ahead of him. And uh, not all of it has to do with football. And I'm looking forward to that conversation coming up in about 10 minutes. And in about 40 minutes from now, we're going to find out about a study. Uh, this is a study that was aimed at identifying and better understanding health gaps for women that have been exposed by the pandemic. The study is called Finding the Fractures. This is actually super cool in the sense that real talkers, you told us by way of our Y station, our question of the week, our polling right around the New Year break. We asked you what you'd like to see more of on Real Talk, what subjects particularly interest you, what you really care about. And this is one of the first specific features of 2022 that are a direct result of correspondence that you've had with us and with our editorial team. So we thank you for that. This episode and every episode of Real Talk is presented by our good friends at the Bitcoin Well. Check this out. Invest Alberta posting this yesterday. Pretty exciting stuff featuring founding CEO Adam O'Brien. Quote, it's no secret our world is going to continue doubling down on technology and having tremendous disruptors here in Alberta. That's really important. You can check out that feature on Adam O'Brien and Bitcoin Well uh, via Invest Alberta's uh, Twitter thread and caught the attention of Alberta's premier who celebrated their achievements. Jason Kenney yesterday, a great Alberta investment story from the Bitcoin Well. Way to go, team. You can find Bitcoin Well, the link under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I've also got some emails printed off following uh, our conversation yesterday with Ben Freeman, Jewish Pride, the book. He talked a lot about Jew hate, and it prompted uh, some uh, pretty strong emotions Uh, from Jennifer and from Fatima, from Cameron. I'm going to try to get to as many emails as I can on that. Uh, Anytime we we, uh, get into certain subject matter, we expect strong response from the audience, and certainly that's no exception there. And we want to make sure, you know, when we solicit your opinions and your feedback, when we invite you, when we urge you to send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com, we want to deliver on that and and give you the floor and hand over the mic, so to speak, and uh, give you a chance to have your say. Uh, This is a story that certainly caught people's attention over the weekend if you weren't paying attention to the big truckers for freedom rally or if you weren't paying attention to some of the other things going on in eastern canada or around the world you quite likely were well aware that on sunday a number of protesters showed up outside a federal member of parliament's home in calgary alberta george chahal is the mp recently elected for calgary skyview formerly a city councillor before that he's the only liberal mp in calgary 
And he's joining us, making his debut, as a matter of fact, on the show this morning. George, thanks for making time for us. Welcome to Real Talk. Well, good morning, Ryan, and thank you for having me. Yeah, what's what was going on on Sunday? When did you know something was amiss? It sounded to me like you were having a family celebration of some sort. Yeah, it was my wife's birthday, and uh, we as a family were going to celebrate uh, a very special birthday for my lovely wife. I had just come home uh, just prior to that, taking bringing my daughter home from her uh, soccer game. And uh, my wife and kids uh, just had come in from walking the dog, and we were just uh, another Sunday at her home. Um, and then we heard a large ruckus outside of people yelling and chanting, and my kids got uh, scared and, and alarmed with what was going on. Um, and, you know, they brought it to my attention and we saw a large group of people outside on the street, blocking the roadway, uh, creating uh, a disturbance. So you, you tweeted out and, and we'll put this picture up again for people that are watching on YouTube. They can see it looks like about 15 people outside your house, something like that. You see a group of protesters demonstrating outside my home. Well, my family and I are inside celebrating my wife's birthday. They came to intimidate us, you say. I have three daughters, 17, 13, and nine. The one place they should always feel safe is at home. Uh, the majority of people will not disagree with you on that, George. Was this a first? I mean, you have experience in politics uh, through your professional life. Was this a first? Well, this is our first at my home at this residence, uh, but there's been a suspicious activity happening in my in and around my house for the last number of days. And even over the last number of months, I've seen um, my wife's told me that it looks like somebody's gone through a garbage or recycling bins. She's seen messages and uh, stickers left on the garbage bins and uh, on the front lampposts, uh, messages. And I see, do see them as uh, threats and intimidation towards me and my family. Um, and the concerning thing is uh, people have the right to protest. I mean, we have lots of places in the city of Calgary, City Hall, Olympic Plaza, sure. um, outside of my constituency office. I mean, there's so many places to do so, but not in front of somebody's homes. Uh, this brought back memories for me as a child growing up. Uh, my house was egged, targeted, vandalized, um, gunshots, uh, even a failed cross burning on my front lawn growing up as a kid. Uh, I grew up with having... Uh, field hockey sticks and baseball bats that we kept lying around. My dad did just in case uh, we were attacked. That's what brought back memories for me um, from those experiences of hate that I experienced as a child. For my kids to see this in front of their home, um, that they could be, you know, walking their dog or my nine-year-old wants to go play and make a snowman and then being targeted by uh, people like this. Uh, it's quite concerning. Um they say it's about vaccine mandates and masks. Then why do you show up in front of somebody's house wearing a ski mask or a cat mask? That's concerning. Um, and so for me um, and for my family, this is very concerning. Um, the level of uh, the protest, but the level of hate that I've, I've seen over the last number of months, but particularly uh, over the last number of days. And now my wife and kids feel that they're not even safe at their, in their home. Um, that's a problem for me. And that's crossing a line because I can tell you if there was an encounter um, where I was coming or going, I mean, I don't know what could have happened. I don't know what could have happened to me or my family or anybody else in that matter. And I, I feel bad for my neighbors. You know, there's new, um, new mothers with uh, newborn babies who, uh, and seniors and folks just trying to enjoy a Sunday and then their neighborhood gets disturbed by uh, a bunch of radicals uh, uh, blocking our street and our sidewalks. 
George has mentioned you're the only liberal member of parliament in Calgary. You're one of only two in the province of Alberta, along with Randy Boissonneau up here in our hometown of Edmonton. Well, I should say McCalgary is my hometown for what it's worth, but where I'm currently living here in Edmonton, um, uh, you know, you mentioned these these horrific experiences that would scar you, obviously, or at least impact you uh, as a child or as a young man. I mean, including a failed cross burning, you say, on your front yard. It is undeniable that that is a racist symbol. Do you believe that this weekend's demonstration was purely related to politics? Do they find you as as the dartboard that they can aim at because you're the liberal MP and this is a federal policy, the vaccine mandate that they're talking about? Or, or, or was there a racial element to anything this weekend? Well, this organization um, does have ties to um, uh, white supremacy. Uh, and, I, and I've, you know, from what I've viewed and looked up myself, I've seen that, um, of providing misinformation and disinformation to the public. That's a tactic they use to radicalize people. George, who is they? Who is they? Is this group have a name? Well, it's the stickers that I saw um, outside of my home, and I think you've put up uh, as well, and uh, the Anon and uh, uh, the I believe it's the White Rose, um, whoever they are, um, I don't know. These are just the stickers that I've seen, and I I've see. done a little bit of a research on uh, the Internet. Um, and so that's concerning to me. Uh, there is an element um, within this group of uh, of targeting me of because I'm a liberal MP, because I've had a strong view in promoting vaccinations. My constituency, the Upper Northeast, has the highest rates of vaccinations in the province of Alberta, 99%. That's not by accident. Our constituents, we worked hard to make sure people got vaccinated. I promoted literature, billboards to help do that as a city councillor. And I'm continuing to promote that. But I mean, to target that... Uh, uh, you know, why show up at my house wearing a mask then if you you don't like wearing uh, if you have an issue with the mask mandate and the decisions we made at City Hall? Um, these are concerns. But now we've seen politicians use this rhetoric to inflame these people. Uh, you've seen that with uh, uh, people who ran in the last election who weren't elected. But you've also also seen it from elected officials here in the province of Alberta, but in the House of Commons. Um, as well, promoting this type of behavior and uh, um, firing up these folks. And you know what? It ended up on my doorstep and on my street. And I don't like it. Um, and if they're going to come target and threaten me, that's not cool. Because they're targeting my family, my wife, and my kids. Uh, it's not political anymore. Uh, they've made it personal. And, uh, and I see that as a personal threat. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is absolutely never, ever acceptable to show up at a politician's house ever to intimidate them, message them, confront them or otherwise. Uh, Racky Pancholi, an MLA out of Edmonton, tweeting this yesterday to me. She says, I get a lot of awful comments on social media, but not one of them give me as much pause about running for office again as the people who have told me over the past few weeks that scaring my kids in their home is the right thing to do because making me uncomfortable is the point. Uh, Racky, uh, a mom of young children as well, points out that uh, Alberta's former health minister, Tyler Shandro, and his family were accosted at a stampede event. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, Shandro showed up on the driveway of a doctor. So we're not participating in a race to the bottom here, folks. We do have an ask in an interview request with uh, health minister, uh, Minister Copping, uh, who had people show up at his door as well. Completely unacceptable. George, I know that you'll condemn all of it. What supports do you have in place now? What steps are you taking? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I won't get you on the record. I know talking about all your security because that sort of defeats the purpose. But are you having to take extraordinary or unusual measures right now? 
Well, we are. I mean, we're looking at all of our security measures uh, that's, per, uh, you know, at, at our home and place of work. I'm also concerned for my staff. We've had people show up uh, to the office causing a disturbance. Um, and uh, I'm concerned about their health and safety as well. So we're looking at all measures at the office and at home. I'm really concerned about my kids, um, their health and well-being, them being able to walk, you know, walk our dog or just go play outside. That's concerning for me. Um, and uh, that's completely unacceptable. You know, I'm a public person. I ran for public office. I've been in the public eye. I hold Chai with Chahal events in public all the time. I welcome people to come in, meet me and, and chat with me at all my public events, but don't cause a disturbance um, to get your point across. There's a way to have a conversation. I'm open to doing that and I'll continue to do that. I've held town halls at city council um, every year uh, when we weren't in the pandemic, when I could. Um, I have with Chai with Chahals in public parks and playgrounds and at the local community center. So I'm easy to find, but targeting my wife and kids, um, that's unacceptable. George, and, I'm assuming uh, you called Calgary police. What did the police tell you? Uh, my neighbor called, uh, had uh, notified me that they did call Calgary police. Um, I have not had a conversation with the Calgary police uh, regarding this matter. We've reported and, uh, you know, to uh, security agencies um, locally, local authorities, but also through the House of Commons as well. Um, you know, I've had other threats towards me um, and, and my family, which is concerning over the last number of months. So, uh, you know, we're working and we'll provide whatever information the authorities need. But groups of these radicalized folks who, who are uh, coming forward to use threats and intimidation to deter me from the work I'm doing, I'm going to continue um, to stand up and defend and fight for uh, Calgary Skyview and Calgarians, Albertans and Canadians who face hate, but for the issues that matter for that to all of us. Um, and that's having opportunity uh, to live a safe life and having prosperity for our uh, for our families. Uh, George, uh, my final question, I want to thank you for your time, uh, has nothing to do with this. I want to be clear that this is a new page in the interview. I'm not tying the two together, but you did tweet uh, just a short time ago. As a matter of fact, I guess about 40 minutes ago from the time we started this conversation, you have accepted and paid a $500 administrative penalty as assessed by Elections Canada for removing a flyer from a front door back in September of 2021. You say, I want to apologize uh, for and acknowledge your mistake. A lot of people figured that you were a shoe in for Justin Trudeau's cabinet, a liberal MP down in Calgary. Of course, that controversy swirling around probably cost you a cabinet post. Obviously embarrassing for you, I guess, out of the gates. What did you learn from it? No, it was a mistake. And I apologize to um, all the constituents of Calgary Skyview and everybody impacted. Um, you know, it was a, a mistake and it, it was just it was happened one time. So for me, it was a mistake. And uh, and I apologize for that. I've paid and accepted the administrative penalty levied by uh, uh, the House of Commons after I mean, uh, the elections office after the review. And I accept it and I own it. And um, I, I'm not going to I'll make sure I'm uh, continue on to represent my community just the way I have as a city councillor to make sure I advocate for their issues and concerns and get results. Do you think it cost you a cabinet post? Um, you know what? I don't know about uh, that. And uh, I'm just here to work for Calgary Skyview and my constituents. The important thing for me is to be in my community to be able to advance issues. And I can tell you there's a lot of work we're doing uh, that's going to break, uh, bring great results for Northeast Calgary, Calgary Skyview and the province of Alberta. And I'm just happy to provide that voice uh, in government 
And I'm going to work extremely hard to make sure that I deliver on the priorities that I've been elected on. There you go. Former Ward 5 counselor, now the member of parliament for Calgary Skyview, George Chahal. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me and have a great day. You bet. You as well. You can let me know what you think about what you just heard. I, I, I mean, I sit here and you think, you know, in real talk, kind of the premise is we really want to understand, you know, where you're coming from and consider your points. I had somebody yesterday reach out to me on Twitter. It's all these it's these accounts that I know you're going to say to me. Why are you engaging? Don't engage with these accounts. Don't engage. And I and I, I you know, sometimes you just kind of dance a little and then you ha- and then you have to step away. And but someone says to me, you know, I, I mean, what's the big I tweeted? Never, ever show up to a politician's house. Some of you smart asses are going, well, what if I'm invited? And what if I live there? What, OK, and the one person says, no, says, no, it's completely acceptable. They signed up for it. They're in the public eye. I have a right to protest. I'm sitting here going, you know, your perspective is mangled. If you think it's appropriate to show up at people's houses and intimidate their families, I don't care who you're talking about, what you're trying to accomplish. Never acceptable. Now, what would you do in that situation? I can think of what I might do. In an effort to protect my family because I can have a short fuse in those types of scenarios. None of them are good. None of them are positive outcomes. You know, they involve bear spray and dogs off leash. And I don't think anybody wants that to happen in the street. Right. Because then there's reciprocation and then there's ramping up further. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, somebody gets killed. Completely unacceptable. The Edmonton Elks new president and CEO in just a second. I want to let you know right now how excited we are to have Dram in a can on board for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. It's coming up this Saturday. Dram in a can. Check this out. They've just released this amazing product from Two Stacks. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's a dram of Irish whiskey, 100 mils in a can. It's sold as a four-pack, or you can get them individually. You can drink them right out of the can, poured over ice, or, of course, used in your favorite whiskey cocktails. I can tell you personally, they're a perfect size for fitting in your backpack, your golf bag, your hockey bag, your purse, your attache case, whatever it is, the dram in a can will fit. And this weekend, every participant at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic is going to get to try one out, which is very cool. By the way, just one spot left. We've got 29 teams registered. We have one spot left for a team of five at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. You can check out details on our website, ryanjesperson.com, under the events page. That's where you can register as a volunteer, as a player, as a sponsor. It's coming up this Saturday on the 29th. If you want to get your hands on Dram in a Can before that, you can find them at Sherbrooke Liquor. Or, of course, you could just Google it and learn more about this awesome new offering. Our friends at Park Power powering our hashtag today as they do the Real Talk RJ hashtag powered by your friendly local utilities provider. You can compare rates for what they're doing. Electricity, natural gas, and internet by way of their website, parkpower.ca. Remember, you have a choice whether you want to go variable rate or fixed rate with your utilities and they never lock you in. It's great. You've always got the option. You're always calling the shots, whatever's best for you and you're working, dealing with Park Power. Well, the Edmonton Elks have made an announcement. This is an exciting one. It was leaked yesterday by longtime Hall of Fame scribe Terry Jones. And that's when everybody found out 
that born and raised Edmontonian Victor Kui would be leading Edmonton's football team, the Elks forward as president and CEO. He's done a ton of work over the past decade uh, building the MMA, the Mixed Martial Arts Promotion One Championship into the largest sports media property in Asia. He's a graduate of the University of Alberta. He's done a lot of work for companies like ESPN Star Sports and events like the 2001 World Championships in Athletics that were hosted in Alberta's capital city. It's a real pleasure to welcome the Elks new president and CEO, Victor Kui. First of all, congratulations. This has to be huge for you and your family. Thanks, Ryan. I'm absolutely pumped to be talking to you. And speaking of family, you know my younger brother, RJ Kui. You guys go way back and, you know, he's he runs a local agency, Planet Sound, and uh, he told me to give you a shout out. Well, I'll tell you. So Planet Sound put, post this yesterday and uh, I was pretty excited to, to draw the direct line and go, oh, my gosh, this is RJ's brother. So so he posts E-Town stand up for your first ever person of color CEO of the Edmonton Elks, Victor Quee. He says, thank you, everybody, for so many wonderfully kind messages uh, today. This is obviously huge. I know your brother's feeling the pride. I know that your whole family must be. What's this like for you? I mean, this is a this is a big job. And I know that there's a big challenge ahead and, and a big job ahead. Obviously, we'll get into that. But but how's it feeling this morning? You know what it feels like is, um, you know, when you meet and you reconnect with an old elementary friend or a high school friend that you haven't seen for 25 or 30 years and you just know that a lifetime of experiences have passed by, but you're so excited about sharing it with that person. And there's this different level of trust and understanding that you have with that person because you have this history. That's what I feel like today. I'm so excited that my whole life and my journey and my 25 years of sport experience has brought me back home to an opportunity to contribute to the city that I love, that I think is one of the best places in the world to live with a team that I'm passionate about and contribute this skill set that I've acquired to the organization and hopefully make a difference. So I, I did check in with your brother. It's it sounds like both you and I talked to him before our conversation today. And I said, <laughs> I said, give me an angle on the Elks new prez uh, that other people might not have because you've 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 helped build this MMA empire in Asia. You've worked on a lot of really high profile events. Obviously, those skills are going to translate. RJ tells me, he says, well, I would have been in grade one. He says, so Victor would have been in grade eight. He says, you got to talk to him about the ball wall championships because this, he says, is maybe where this whole thing began around sports marketing. <laughs> that is so funny. Okay, so let's digress into that. Is we created a sport with a beach volleyball in our basement as kids that had the rules of squash, but you base and handball, where you hit this ball up against the wall. And this is what happens when you grow up in Edmonton and it's minus 40 outside and you have to keep yourself entertained at home. And uh, we created a whole championship belt, like a WWE style championship belt with music playing and a ceremony to award it to which, you know, whoever won the championship, which I would say I continually beat him. Also, I'm seven years older than him, so it's actually no surprise. But uh, yeah, so we always reference that ball wall championship. It's like the ultimate competitive thing between the siblings. Yeah, he says the belt was covered in glitter and tin foil, and he says it was a hell of a production. Uh, Victor, you've got obviously 
obviously uh, a, a mandate here to increase attendance, to grow the season ticket holder base, obviously to do what you can from the president and CEO's office to improve the on-field product, though obviously we can talk about Chris Jones coming back as coach. I mean, there's been a, ba- a basically complete overhaul of this club. There's the bigger picture as well that the Canadian Football League is looking at, the challenges that the league faces, many of these same challenges on more of a macro lens. So where does the work begin and how do you think you might approach it differently than some of your predecessors? Well, Ryan, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that my Rolodex is other CEOs of global sport properties. Um, uh, and I've been able to look at their best practices and see not only what they've built historically, but how they've reacted to one of the most dramatic and, and challenging periods of this pandemic for sports business. And take all of that knowledge and apply it to, to, to the team and, and, and where we're going. So there's a lot of challenges up ahead. And um, I, I've said this many times before, one of the things that we are very lucky about is that we've got a fantastic board of directors led by Ian, Ian Murray as the chairman and a fantastic team that have been able to survive what will probably be the biggest challenging period of their entire life in sports business. And here we are today with a new season, a fresh outlook, ready to tackle a new challenge. Now, there's a lot of work ahead. I, 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 won't, I won't downplay this at all. But in a lot of ways, the challenges that the team are facing is what everybody in the world is facing. So there's solutions there. We have to figure out what are the right solutions that make sense for our community, our shareholders, our season ticket holders, and pay respect to the tradition that we are the administrators of maintaining. Victor, do you feel, I mean, is there a damaged, uh, there's certainly a strained relationship uh, between the team and its fan base, in particular season ticket holders, and and we can get into a lot of it. I I would say if you know, you know. I mean, even some things that are maybe questionable with regards to the specific uh, nature of them, but I mean, there were rumors that Joey Moss had been banned, you know, fan favorite Joey Moss banned from the locker room by certain leadership, and obviously there was concerns with the on-field product and a lot of angst from the fans. You could feel it. You, You could almost feel it. Do you believe that this is a fan base that's open to repairing that relationship? And and what's your first message to this fan base that's been one of the greatest uh, in the CFL since inception? So I'll start in reverse order to that. What's my message to the to to that to that fan base is we want to improve and we can't do it without them. Without a doubt, they are the epicenter, the pillar, the heart of what this organization is about. And I'll go back to your to your first part of, of the changes that we need to do and things that, um, that the organization is, uh, is facing. Um, if you think about it, we have an obligation to innovate in every way that we can. And uh, I don't know yet what those solutions are. And this might sound counterintuitive, but I love it when our fans get mad and complain and hit me up on Twitter. And it's like, that would seem that something that should be the worst part of the job. But to me, it's not. Why? Because that means we have a fan base that still care. They care. And if you care, you can still do something. Now, if we were messing up and everything was going wrong and there was all these problems and nobody was complaining, that means we have no hope to succeed. But because... We've disappointed people. They want us to improve. 
They want to see us get better. They're cheering for us. It comes out in a different way. It comes out as criticism. But actually, the message is we expect better of you. We expect better of the team. And we want you to deliver this to us. So that's the challenge that they've issued. And that's how I embrace those criticisms. Uh, so uh, Terry Jones, the columnist yesterday, and I, I don't have to tell you or this audience that Terry says what he thinks. Uh, in the, the opening line, the lead of his piece, breaking the story that you're going to be the Elks new president CEO, says a, uh, a news conference will be held Tuesday to introduce arguably the most overqualified employee in the entire history of Edmonton Elks football. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Warren Moon is a former employee of Edmonton Elks football. So what does it mean for you to be ranked up there by Terry Jones? Well, there are some hyperboles that uh, make great headlines, you know, uh, catching headlines. That's got to feel good, though. Um, here's, here's the thing, Ryan, is this opportunity for me isn't about ego. It isn't about career advancement. I'm so fortunate in my life today that I'm in a position where I can pursue things that are driven by purpose, driven by passion in my heart. I'm just very lucky that I've got this global skill set that I'm able to align that with. And um, I do this because I want to see greatness in everybody else. I want the team to succeed. I want the community to be putting up posters of our players in their room because they inspire them like the way I was inspired as a kid. And so that's the part that that excites me. Uh, this team has a history of incredible, iconic leaders that have contributed to the city and to the province. Peter Lougheed, Don Getty, Bill Smith. I mean, these are part, these are leaders that that emerged and cut their teeth in leadership with this team. And um, uh, I'm, I'm nowhere near any one of those guys. I can only hope that I can continue to um, carry the torch. Um, board Chair Ian Murray a while ago, uh, what was this back, I think, in November in, in addressing the state of the team uh, following the firing of President Chris Presson and GM Brock Sunderland and, and the team's head coach as well, basically in, in talking about the majority of the fans – at Commonwealth Stadium, quote, our demographics are brutal, they're old, they're disproportionately male and white, even though that isn't representative of our community. Uh, he since sort of walked back or tried to massage those comments. But when he made the comments, personally, I went, yeah, <laughs> like it's a but pardon me, it might be uncomfortable for some people to hear, but that's a huge step in the right direction. And and if I can speak candidly for once on this show, um, having an old white guy saying that the fan base is all old and white was even more significant. Now, your own brother pointed it out in celebrating your new opportunity yesterday, a person of color in this role and obviously a younger person with a lot of experience in building major sports brands. So how does that comment there uh, fit into or how is it relevant to the job that you're about to start? Let me first say that I have never met a group of leaders from our board of directors at the Edmonton Elks that are driven more by just pure passion, absolute heart in the right place. And you're talking about the best of the best of the city's leaders. Like you go into that room with that board of directors and it is intimidating because these guys all run successful businesses and they've had incredible accomplishments in their life. So I, First of all, I want to give credit where credit's due to those to, to, to the board for having done what they've done. And Ian stepping up 
to to be actually in the line of, of fire with all these with all these changes. Now, I'd say this. Um, I didn't get this job because I'm Edmontonian, although I am very proud to be Edmontonian. And I truly believe this is one of the best cities in the world to live. I didn't get this job because I'm Asian Canadian, although I am extremely proud of my Asian heritage and very proud of my cultural heritage. I got this job because the board of directors decided that of all the candidates in the world that they found and were looking at, that I had the skill set and I have their confidence to take this organization where it needs to go. And that is um, that that part I can take credit for of my career of what I've built and the sacrifices that I've done. The other part of those 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 first parts of being born in Edmonton and and being Asian Canadian. That was just luck. I didn't do anything about that. And um, that, that's thanks for flashing up that picture of of my gorgeous mom and my fantastic dad. And family has always been at the at the forefront of my priorities and everything that I do. I love it. And, and obviously family is going to be huge in, in, in adding that next generation of Elks fans. Right. I know that there's been a lot of talk about the role that the football team uh, has had over the decades, having players show up in schools and participate in football camps and the, the relationship that they have with the, you know, the golden bears football team at the university of Alberta and obviously minor football in Edmonton. And, and this is a really big deal. How about this for a compliment? Uh, we've, we've got Deborah who's watching us live, uh, on on our on our uh, YouTube, and she says, "I'm not into sports, but I could listen to this guy for ages." That's a good sign, Victor. Out of the gates, let me ask you in closing. Well, well, what up, Deborah? And then uh, I like the digital flirt, so thank you. Yeah, there you go. Maybe Deborah's going to bring all the you know all of her circle down to you know opening you know kickoff. Maybe your your home opener, which would be a big deal. It'd be nice to see it packed there. Um, this one's a little bit more for the football fans in the house for the Elks as we wrap our time. I know you've got a busy day ahead of you, obviously. Uh, Chris Jones coming back. It's got to be a big deal. I know that when he left Edmonton to go to Saskatchewan, a lot of fans were, quite frankly, a little bit pissed off about it. And I think Saskatchewan felt like it was a bit of a flex. How does it feel to get him back as coach, as general manager? And, and what do you think that means to the team? I am so pumped with it. I thought it was one of the best decisions that we've ever done. I've had fantastic discussions with Chris over the last um, last week or so. And, you know, what comes to mind is, the saying that my captain in, in the Navy, when I was when I, I joined HMCS Nonsuch, which is the Navy Reserves here in Edmonton, and he always used to say say to me, when you build a ship and your crew, don't build it so that one plus one equals two. Find the synergies so that one plus one equals three and your force multiplied. And that's what I feel like every single time I talk to Chris. He's a fantastic leader, super experienced, exactly what the team needs on the football side of things. And I feel that him and him and I together are force multiplied. Uh, I know you're not afraid to take shots. I know you're not afraid to get into it, uh, which is good for a football executive. Your brother also told me that uh, you used to play more dangerous games. I don't know if it was until your parents would jump in or not. You'd strap cardboard to your backs and throw darts at each other. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the, the games that you could get away with 30 years ago yeah. were like today you, you think about it like what? No chance. I'll tell you a crazy, crazy thing is that I bring my family skiing uh, every, every Sunday to Rabbit Hill. And that's the first time that I've been skiing in 20 years. And I got on the hill and everyone's wearing helmets. Yeah. 
And I was like, of course you should wear helmets. That makes so much sense. But it had never occurred to me because my whole life I skied without a helmet. And uh, I, those are the kind of improvements that are important for our kids. If you're a family man, you know, that we didn't get a, we didn't even understand back then. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Victor Kui, hey, congratulations. Uh, I know this, this is easy right now. I know you're going to deflect it. Uh, there a lot of positive comments on our live chat. You're going to say, hang on though. I mean, I know you, you're not afraid. You're not afraid to hear the criticism as well. And plus you're just getting started, uh, but it looks to be uh, on the right foot. So congratulations to you and your family. We'll look forward to future conversations and seeing what you accomplish with this storied and legendary franchise. Thanks, Ryan. I'm looking forward to hanging out, man. Good stuff. That's Victor Kui. He's the new president and CEO of the Edmonton Elks, uh, named just a very short time ago. We appreciate his availability uh, for this one-on-one here on Real Talk. Linda Ray says he is dynamic. Hope says, I know a former player who is pissed when Chris Jones left. I think there were many players that were too happy about that. That was a big deal, right, Sam? I mean, that, when Chris Jones left, won a great cup and then basically left, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, because the, the outrage from the fans is like as they were pouring champagne into the cup, he basically already had a contract right. with, the, uh, with yeah. the riders. Like, you know what I mean? It's like it just felt so disloyal. But at the same time, it's just like, well, like he goes and players follow him. Like, that's the other thing about Chris Jones. Players are so loyal to Chris Jones. It was so kind of like, like one of those situations. It's not like when, you know, your relationship breaks up and then you, you know, after six months, you're ready to start seeing other people. It's like when your partner leaves you for somebody else and you go, okay, there's been discussions and planning it is going an on injustice. for a while. It, it is feels a like more of an injustice. injustice. This. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, like I was kind of in the camp of never again, Chris Jones, never allowed back in this city again. I've warmed up to it over the ca- past couple months. The people of Cleveland didn't mind when LeBron came back, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is true. That was a big deal. When LeBron came back to Cleveland, uh, Scarlett suggesting a real talk tailgater for the Elks home opener. Um, I, none of that sounds like a bad idea. None of that sounds like a bad idea. Kim says, I am, uh, with regards to like life without helmets, Kim says, I, I am, I remember when seatbelts became law years old. <laughs> Absolutely. I, this has, this is not a comment on my upbringing. I had wonderful, diligent, incredible, loving, safety conscious parents. But I look back just like every other kid of my vintage. I'm a 77 born and it's amazing. Like, I remember the first time I ever put on a helmet was snowboarding, and it was probably like 10 years ago or less. And I've, I mean, I've spent some time in the Fernie ER <laughs> with a pretty serious concussion on a ski trip. No helmet after the concussion. Did not grow up riding my bike with a helmet. Did not. I, we had uh, the city of Calgary used to put in really amazing skate parks, temporary half pipes near our house in the summer. Never. I had knee pads. I had my thrasher knee pads, but I never once had a helmet on skateboarding. I'm kind of thinking about like a little bit of the generational gap here, too, because like I, like since I could look at a bicycle, helmets were mandatory on bicycles. That was like period full stop in my life so just reiterating what a young pup you are what i am saying is that like i have never in my life ridden a bike without a helmet however when i first learned to ski there were no helmets i was thinking about this like two weeks ago when i was at sunshine i was like damn you can't like there there is the person without a helmet is the rarity on the hill now yeah so weird yeah you kind of you you almost kind of uh you're kind of looking at him being like have you not got the memo yeah 
It like, also it was looks so... very freeing. Like the it's always the one skiing perfect parallel with the toque <laughs> with the big pom pom, and they're Palming like, they're and like, down. I'm not yeah. gonna put on a helmet. Well, it was such a big tell to me. Is like I bought a new ski jacket, and the hoods fit over a helmet now. Yes, they're huge. Oh yeah. For sure. Congrats on the new ski jacket. Oh, thank you. Miranda says, what about riding in the back of a truck? Totally. <laughs> if you never, audience member, if you never got to ride to Vancouver in the back of a station wagon, did you even live? And for some of you riding in the back of a station wagon, while well, mom and dad crushed darts in the front with the windows rolled up, right? And the vintage before that, maybe. Dad driving the Lincoln, you know, the 64 Lincoln Continental with a neat whiskey in hand. Sort of like Julian from Trailer Park Boys, never spilling the rum and coke. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, my goodness. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you can find out more about what Eden Landscaping does. Their process is a little bit different. I'm not sure if you've contracted out landscaping services in the past, but a lot of time you're going to have to hire a designer and then you're going to want to hire a general contractor and then they're going to hire out subcontractors and, and the whole thing. You know, how do you keep a handle on it? What if something goes wrong? Who's accountable? Who are you talking to? Who's quarterbacking it, basically? When you deal with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping, they bring your outdoor space to life from start to finish, meaning they do the design, they're pulling the permits, they're ordering the construction materials, and they're getting the job done. They don't leave until you're completely satisfied. It's why they earn so many referrals and return customers. Check out their portfolio today at landscapeedmonton.ca. The team at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge want to let you know some limited time offers end at the end of January. January 31st is when the uh, you're going to see up to 10% off. That offer will be off the table when it comes to Grand Cherokees. What about this? Up to $9,750 in total discounts on the some selected Ram 1500 trucks. Plus deals on the 2021 Dodge Durango and the 2022 Jeep Wagoneer. You can browse their selection online or you can go see them safely in person lots of space on those lots at sherwood and st albert dodge beautiful dealership in st albert they just built that one if you'd rather board a plane if your plan is to get the heck out of dodge go somewhere hot you feel like you've deserved a little time to breathe with sand between your toes why not keep a little money in your pocket by parking your car with jet set airport parking if you're flying out of edmonton international airport out of eia you can save by booking online right now at jetsetparking.com. Use the promo code REALTALK and you can park for $7 a day. you got to book at least 24 hours in advance for travel all the way through to the end of 2022. The promo code REALTALK gets you parking for 7 bucks a day at jetsetparking.com at Edmonton's International Airport. You have spoken and we have listened and this is just the first feature of many that we'll see through the course of 2022 here on the show that have been pitched by you, by Real Talkers. We asked you in a recent question of the week presented by our research and strategy partners at Y Station to let us know what you want to hear more about. Some of it's internationally focused. Some of it's a little more local. All of it relevant. All of it matters to you. And that includes this conversation on women's health gaps exposed by the pandemic. We're going to be talking about a study, a report called Finding the Fractures, which lays out a path to equity. And we approach this from three different 
directions. Uh, Dr. Jane Schultz is a, a professor and chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of Alberta, a large part uh, of a clinical academic practice at the Lois Hole Hospital for Women in Alberta's capital city. Uh, Tegan Gaylor is the vice president of development, stakeholder engagement with the Royal Alexandra Hospital Foundation and the Alberta Women's Health Foundation. And Suzanne Pescott is the director of marketing and comms for a, a provincial nonprofit. She's a mom to two toddlers, four and almost too. Congratulations, Suzanne. Um, but it's been a challenging one for you, hasn't it, through the course of this pandemic? Uh, health issues have reared their ugly head, not just for you, but for some beloved family members as well. Yeah. So it, it, I had a baby my second January 2020, um, right before, you know, especially in Canada, we experienced a lot of impacts of the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> I really struggled with a lot of postpartum anxiety following the birth of my son, um, which led me to delay seeking some medical treatments for another issue, which was completely unrelated to um, postpartum anxiety or having had a child. Uh, it took me until the end of 2020 to actually go and, and get it checked out. I kept pushing back. I kept not calling. I kept not doing anything about it. Um, both postpartum anxiety, a pandemic, being, you know, a mom for the second time made me think I just can't be away from my family even for a day, which you know, sounds a little bit weird when I think about it, you know, a year later. Um, but it, it really was what I was thinking. And by the time I went into the uh, clinic and, and to the hospital, they diagnosed me with a chronic medical condition that needed immediate treatment. And, and I'm still getting treatment for um, two years later. And I just think about all the reasons why I delayed accessing um, and getting that diagnosis. I am so confident that thousands of people are going to hear this and go, that's me. That's my story. And Suzanne, before we get into the report with the experts here and before we start talking bigger picture, uh, it's been a tough one for your mom as well. I mean, you, you've got a, a different angle on this, too, watching somebody else navigate a pretty difficult circumstance. Yes. So in 2020, my mom was also diagnosed with breast cancer for a second time. Um, similarly, you know, there was a, a feeling of needing to put off going to get the mammogram, put off going to get the tests. And um, my dad, you know, everything with the pandemic, you're worried about even going into the hospital, going into some medical facilities. Luckily, you know, she's this was her second time being diagnosed with breast cancer. So she knew the importance of getting an, an early diagnosis. Um, she went through having a mastectomy. Um, you know, we can say a year and a half later, it looks like she's, you know, on the right track with everything, which is just wonderful. And we're so excited about that. But my goodness, doesn't it just hit home how important early detection and uh, um, getting, getting a diagnosis is and getting access to those vital cancer surgeries is. No kidding. Uh, Dr. Schultz, you know, you have conversations with, with people like Suzanne and it reiterates uh, what we hear at, at, at a bigger picture level, that there are strains on the healthcare system, that people are having uh, different barriers in front of them when it comes to accessing healthcare services, and, and that the ripple impact of this pandemic is, is sort of manifesting itself over time in ways that maybe none of us saw coming. But we want to talk today about the specific issues that have impacted women and the inequities that have been exposed. Can you take us into this? Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. It's a huge issue. And I think it's been exacerbated more by the COVID pandemic. 
and the fact that it's continued for so long. So the Alberta Women's Health Foundation uh, did do this survey in May of 2021, where they surveyed just over 600 women in the province just to explore and start that conversation. And I think we're finding that the uh, some people are calling this a pink pandemic. It is impacting women more so because of the other um aspects of their lives. So women still bear the burden of domestic duties, um, child care, elder care. Um, and there is documentation showing that women are working 35 non um, sort of their primary job hours per week in other chores. And this is impacting uh, their mental health, it's impacting um, their own well-being. And I think it's something we need to focus on. And the other concern is that a lot of routine screening for cervical cancers like pap tests and mammogram have also been deferred as part of the pandemic. And part of this is, as was alluded to, um, people being afraid to go into facilities because they're worried about exposing themselves to COVID and we've even had women that are delivering babies and concerned about going into the hospital and I mean this is a terrible situation to be in it's a conversation we need to have we need to educate people we need to make them know that we are there to provide care and then just help women um, moving forward to get the care they need. Uh, We'll circle back on that and and ask you what getting that help looks like and what changes you think are doable. Tegan, let's take a look at some of these numbers. Um, You know, it's become pretty apparent here that women face a 20 percent higher risk than men of dying or having heart failure uh, during the five years following a heart attack. What about this specifically from the report we're discussing? Four out of five women have been feeling more stressed during as a result of the pandemic. Eight percent of women have been diagnosed with a mental health disorder during the pandemic. What does that say to you with regards to where a good, informed process, an empathetic process, a responsive process goes from here? Absolutely. I mean, these numbers are shocking, but I don't think they're surprising. You know, anecdotally, we thought there was issues uh, women were facing during the pandemic, but this survey really confirmed that. In our report, 63% of women said they've had added stress due to the pandemic. So where do we go from here? continuing to support women in the province. And that's everybody's job, not just uh, for women. And, you know, through the Alberta Women's Health Foundation, we fund wonderful research projects to support um, women's health research, of course, and different clinical care tools that can be put into practice sooner. An example of that is uh, we work with a researcher in Calgary to fund an online uh, mental health app called HOPE. And Dr. Don Kingston's app actually allows um, women who are expecting and in postpartum to access those mental health supports uh, digitally and screenings and connect them to care online or in person in uh, the closest center to them. And it's how do we connect with these women to make sure they have the support that they need to stay healthy and happy and continuing to contribute to our society. Um, Such a vital part of that. And we don't wanna see women leaving the workplace or bearing that burden. And both Suzanne and Jane have alluded to that today about what we're seeing. And, and, you know, this survey confirms all of Suzanne's feelings. And so how do we work together in partnership to solve the problem? So, yeah, I mean, where does that work start? Suzanne, why don't, why don't we ask you, because you're, you know, one of the ones that are experiencing, this is your real life, right? A lot of times when you want to get a sense of the best way to walk a trail, you talk to the people that have the dust on their boots already. So, I mean, do you have a specific focus or, or, do you are you able to articulate a few things that you think would have really helped you or would really help you currently that you think could help other people as well? 
The access to those mental health supports, I think, were really important. Um, you know, I've got two young kids. It, two years into a pandemic, I'm still stressed out all of the time uh, about what we're going to do and, and how we're going to manage um, any sickness or illness because it also impacts childcare. It impacts what my day to day work life looks like. Um, so it is it's a lot of stress that I, I don't think I've ever, I definitely didn't uh, deal with when I had my first um, child. So recognizing the toll it's taking and, and how much stress can impact not only your mental health, but also your physical health. Uh, the chronic issue that I'm dealing with was really exacerbated by the stress that I was under, especially in 2022 when there were so many unknowns with a brand new baby. Um, it, it really made the problem worse, which I guess is also probably what got me into the hospital faster, but, but that shouldn't have been the way it all happened. Hmm. This is uh, anecdotal, but pretty striking. Kim PG is watching us live right now. She survived a stroke this year, and she says, after I had my stroke, my community accessible rehab therapist told me that more young women have had strokes in the past year than normal. Doctor, have you heard that? Have you heard anything along those lines? Would that surprise you if it was true? It would not surprise me because certainly um, the concerns are that people are not seeking care, not seeking their routine care, not getting their regular health checks and checking for blood pressure and things like that. So there's the aspect of um, impacted care um, and delayed care. A lot of the visits have been virtual and people have not actually been going in to see their primary care provider and get their routine wellness checks completed. And I mean, there may be a component of COVID to this too, right? Because certainly we know that um, COVID can uh, increase your risk of um, hypercoagulability and, and these are things that we probably need to look into with further research. There is a lot of research ongoing and um, as has been described, the Alberta Women's Health Foundation is supporting a lot of that work. Tegan, can you take us, can you give us a sense for people right now that'd be curious to learn a little bit more about what the Alberta Women's Health Foundation is doing and how it might provide some accessibility to service for them specifically? Absolutely. So the Alberta Women's Health Foundation really funds research. Um, and so that is research um, uh, sponsored through university, but also clinical care research. And so just in the, in the last number of years um, through the Alberta Women's Health Foundation and WICRI, the Women and Children's Health Research Institute, um, so we've had better and early diagnosis and detection of ovarian cancer, um, expanded awareness around uh, mature women's health, which is, you know, sometimes categories of women's health we don't talk about enough, which include pelvic floor disorders, with which Dr. Schultz is very familiar with, area of specialty, uh, greater understanding around maternal age, pregnancy complications, national guidelines for exercise, and of course, uh, mental health tools. And furthermore, working on really innovative cervical cancer uh, research right now using AI and different targeted tools uh, to able to treat that. And so this is all research happening right here in our province to support women and women's health. And I think just something I'd like to add as um, well, I'm here as a representative of the Alberta Women's Health Foundation and so proud to do so. I myself went through cervical cancer treatment during the pandemic. And so I know exactly what Suzanne and Dr. Schultz are talking about is I had my first major surgery, my first IV all during the pandemic. And so while I'm so proud to be part of the Alberta Women's Health Foundation, I have a deep understanding of what women in our province are going through. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to continue to talk about this message, make it normal and continue to fund uh, research and clinical care in our province. 
Tegan, I, I don't know much about cervical cancer, but if I can make an, an uninformed speculation around it, I, I would suggest that you strike me as quite young uh, to be a cervical cancer survivor. Am, am I way off? Is, does it impact more young women than people might expect? So I'm certainly not a clinician, so I think Dr. Schultz can jump in here. But, you know, I'm in my mid-30s, um, yeah. and I think that it's just uh, it happens from the HPV uh, virus. So that For myself, that's what it was. Um, and quite frankly, I didn't know. The only reason I found out is I got lucky and I went to my screening in January 2020. Wow. And so that's why these results are so sh- striking. Excuse me. Um, the seven, About the 1,700 women that we um, in, uh, surveyed, uh, really a huge portion of them said they skipped appointments, right? They didn't go. They were afraid to go to the doctor. And we have the narrative of the pandemic. Of course, no one wants to get sick. The health system is stressed. Um, and we, you know, from the numbers and calculations, just under 100,000 mammograms and cervical cancer screenings were likely missed uh, during the pandemic so far, uh, which Dr. Schultz alluded to. And so really, and, you know, Dr. Schultz can probably speak about this more eloquently than I, but women still need to seek care. The clinicians are still here to support everyone in the province if you're feeling off, because, you know, if a screening goes missed, what could have the, out- what the outcome could have been worse, right? And, and really, yeah, so... Really for us, it's we want to increase the funding, increase the awareness and advocacy for women's health and women's health research here in Alberta. I don't mean to sidetrack us, take us off track by talking about a dude for a second, but this is, is it's fresh in my mind and, and my heart was in my throat, uh, no pun intended, certainly yesterday. Uh, one of my best friends in the entire world underwent a cancer surgery yesterday. He went, he had, he had a scratch in his throat and um, he wouldn't mind me saying, cause it's true. Neither he nor I take very good care of ourselves. Doctor, that's just the truth. Uh, he doesn't go to his doctor on a very regular basis, but he felt like he should this, this persistent sort of scratchy throat wouldn't go away. It turns out it was esophageal cancer and he had his surgery yesterday an emergency surgery. And, and I'm happy to tell you that, that they believe that it was successful too early to say, but he's currently recovering. Um, this is a young guy, you know, he's 40 years old. And, uh, as we talk about women's health as well, Tegan's story in particular, Tegan, I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, it just, it just reiterates. I understand. I I get it. I understand why people might say in the course of a pandemic, healthcare system stressed. I'm busy. I'm discouraged. There's a whole bunch of sick people in the waiting room. Yada, yada. yada. I'm not going to go. I'll skip my physical this year. It's easy to skip. If anybody's like me, they're kind of looking for a reason to skip their physical. So what's the message you want to get out there? I mean, in Tegan's circumstance, I mean, that could have been a life saving move that she made to decide to go get checked out. I think it's uh, I really appreciate everyone sharing their stories. I mean, it's um, a huge impact, like you mentioned. I'm glad everyone's hopefully doing well now. But I think it is to encourage people, please go seek the care. Um, If you do feel that something's off or something's not right, please reach out and get help. Um, The concerns are, like has been alluded to, with these postponed, whether it be mammogram appointments, cervical screening appointments, pap tests, and even coming back then to the HPV virus, which causes a lot of the cervical cancer, there have been delays of vaccination in school programs. Like I know even my son, who's in grade eight, um, his vaccination was delayed and they're just doing catch up this week. And this is something that they should have completed their series two years ago. So there's these sort of ripple effects of some of these um, things that the vaccination nurses that should have been doing routine school vaccinations were pulled 
told to do COVID clinics or COVID vaccinations. So there's sort of a domino effect of a lot of this stuff and it, it really can impact things. And as um, Suzanne uh, alluded to too, it's like the impact to mothers and working mothers. I mean, I'm a mother myself and even the recent um, extension of the school break led our whole team into chaos because then we've got kids at home and they're not even online on school. They're, they're actually home and I'm going to work and I've got clinics and I've got surgeries as does my whole team, right? So there's a lot of this bouncing back and forth and pivoting and after two years of this, it just becomes exhausting. I have nothing productive to contribute following your observation except to simply say I have no idea how people are doing it. And in particular, women, uh, you know, it's I, we have so many conversations. I'm just this is my real talk. Just to, this is like the unfiltered real talk. We we talk about how gender roles are changing and the blue and the pink jobs and everything. That's true. And that's great. And every family has their own dynamic. But the fact of the matter is, statistically speaking, in society, a lot of these duties do fall more in front of women. You ask about barriers in the workplace. You ask about all the things around equity in the workplace. And this is a, a consistent talking point. So I know it to be true. And that means that when there are these changes like kids home doctor, like you just said, that a lot of times it's just such a challenge for for women and other caregivers. And, and I just what do you even say at this point? Uh, you, you just I, I mean, you, you keep urging people to kind of keep their chin up, Suzanne. I don't know. I guess encouragement can go a long way. But at the same time, you know, people are still just one foot in front of the other. Right. I would guess that would include you and your mom with these diagnoses. And how's your mom doing, by the way? She's doing really well. She's a, a big advocate again for early screening. Go in, go get checked. She's been through this twice. So she's had now, I guess, officially it's a double mastectomy. Um, it's just so important to get those things checked. Ryan, you know, you say you tell everyone, keep your chin up, keep putting it one foot in front of the other. Our family right now, everyone is home. Um, again, we've got two toddlers. Uh, it's busy and and it's hard. And, and my partner is wonderful and he's incredibly helpful, but you know, yesterday I'm in a meeting and, and they're screaming, mom, mom, from upstairs. And I have to shut the meeting down and, and run upstairs. And the most helpful thing I, I, I've encountered so far, are really flexible workplace policies, you know, three people on that call all said, go, go, we get it. Um, this is a, a, a strange time we're living in. And the relief that you feel to just take a few blocks of that, yes, makes me very emotional right now. The relief you feel when you're getting that compassion from other people, knowing that this is just really hard is so important. Well, Suzanne, to pile on more emotion, um, there's people on the live chat right now saying they're going to book their mammogram today. So you're making a difference. Um, I sure appreciate the three of you making time for us today amidst all of the work and advocacy that you're doing. Oh, and healing up as well. And I wish the three of you good health in all of the contexts uh, in the year to come. We've been talking to Suzanne Pescott, Tegan Gaylor and Dr. Jane Schultz. Thanks for this. Thanks Thanks for having us. Appreciate the conversation. Uh, Friends, if you'd like to read this report in its entirety, it's available to the public. Uh, Again, this is the Finding the Fractures report uh, at albertawomenshealthfoundation.org. We'll get producer Sarah Hoyles back in on this in in just a second. Uh, Sarah's working from home right now. Obviously, our team is is responding and pivoting. I see questions every single show, which is understandable, so we can address it every single show. That's no big deal. I know that not all of you join us every single show for the entirety of the show, but Hoyles is working from home. This is simply our team's response to the Omicron variant. It ran its way through our team uh, through the first couple of weeks of January, and uh, in this current studio, the studio we're working from uh, for the next short while, 
while our new studio is under construction, there's not a ton of square footage. And so despite the fact that we've got our air purification units and the plexiglass and we do all the things and we're all vaxxed and boosted, um, we're still doing everything that we can to just make sure that everybody's comfortable. So Hoyles is all good uh, for those of you that were asking and, and is working from home, which means she also gets to work alongside her dogs, which is pretty awesome. Um, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people taking different steps during the course of this pandemic and, and a lot of the messaging. It's been interesting too. Um, Sam, when Sarah's back with us, you can just go ahead and bring her in. And this was kind of an interesting one I saw from my buddy, you know, the, the uh, advertising that goes on right now. So you'll have advocacy, for example, from the Alberta Women's Health Foundation talking about finding the fractures. I've seen a lot of advertising on TV about dry February. I think it's for the Canadian Cancer Society or Canadian. It's, it's for cancer research. Uh, that's the benefactor. And the language is very plain and direct and to the point and relatable. And I, I quite like it. Uh, they basically say, let's be honest. Over the past couple of years, it's been challenging for everybody and a whole bunch of us have been drinking more than we usually would. And maybe now is the time to consider going dry in February or as dry as you'd like. And they're meeting people where they're at. And I think it's such a unique mindset right now where it's it's not been a challenge for like a few days or a couple of weeks or a month or even one year. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, essentially, the messaging now is, listen, we get it. It's been tough for everybody. A lot of us have developed bad habits. And, and now it's time to maybe start easing toward making healthier decisions. Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah, totally. And and I, it's been a little bit of a pandemic theme that I found some people that are just like, they sort of flip flop on it and they have their vices for a bit. And then they're kind of like, well, I've got a little too far on that one. I'm going to you know kind of back it off yeah. a little bit. So it's like, you know, the dry Feb messaging is like, I think it's totally spot on for where people are at right now. For me, it was kind of amusing and fun. And it provided some good uh, Instagram story material hoils back when the pandemic first began. This was like March of 2020. And I would do almost daily posts at the time because I didn't if I would have known it was two years of runway, two years or more of runway, I wouldn't have been posting daily quarantini shots, um, but I was investing in different uh, olives. I was getting the pimento stuffed olives. I was getting the goat cheese stuffed olives. I was getting all of it, you know, almond stuffed olives are a thing. And I was really upping my martini game until it occurred to me about a month in that this thing might be around for a while. And quarantinis at 1 p.m. on a regular Tuesday might, you know, turn into a bit of a problem. But I think for a lot of people, we were ill-equipped to realize how long this was going to go. Oh, yeah. I remember being like, oh, it's two weeks. It'll be two weeks. Yeah. We'll just shut down for two weeks. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, this, this dry yeah. Feb thing, it, it's a, if I, I, I think that the audience might be into this. Can I read you this? My buddy... My buddy wants to his name's Walker and he wants to, I, I pitched to him. We go for beers together quite frequently and um, we're both trying to get a little bit more healthy. And mm. so I said to him, well, why don't we do dry February together? Right. This we, we would hold each other accountable. We could do it together. And and so he sent me a proposal. <laughs> Can I read this did to get, you? Did he get that on one knee? That's what I want to know. He's, this is like a business plan. OK, OK. You might call it an indecent proposal. He says, because dry February, I was talking to Carrie, my wife yesterday, she's rolling her eyes. She says, if you're going to do it, just do it. Just have a dry February. There's no asterisks. There's no deals. There's no get out of jail for just dry. No drinking for the month of February. So Walker sends me this. He has goal at the top goal to noticeably cut alcohol consumption by at least 75%. Okay. <laughs> he says, based on an estimated four drinks a day, that's a possible 100 drinks minimum over the course of February. 
that you would eliminate. He says the goal is to get that number under 20. He says, so we'll start at negative 20 points. Now, if you have a day where you have no beer, he says, then you get minus three points. He says, you can't have any mix either. So you, you can't be, you know, drinking like rum and Coke, stuff like that. He says every day completely without alcohol, you get plus one point. Okay. Any corresponding days in succession, you get plus a quarter point. So if you have four days without a drink, you take off a bonus point. Don't worry if you're losing interest in your head spinning. Same as me. He says a Friday, Saturday or Sunday without booze is worth two points. He says, if you are together with you friends and you have a zero carb beverage, that's minus half a point. But every other drink is minus a full point. <laughs> he says it's forbidden to use even a half point on three consecutive days, but you get to wipe out one day. He says, for instance, if I have a date and I realize that in order to bring it home, I need to have three more old fashions and a bottle of wine. That day would be stricken from the record. This is Walker's proposal. Huh? I'm thinking that it might be easier to just go dry. Well, I, I, there's so many things I want to unpack there. There's a I lot. Mean, there's a lot. To un- Number one, he's single and in the market. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, just, but I, I would encourage him to try to do that without a drink. It is, it is very possible. I know. I know he can do to it. Pick up a, a, a lady, uh, or whomever he is interested in, yeah. um, without without a drink. I don't know. I always, I always wonder about, yes, I like the idea of a dry February. Great. Or like in January, some people are doing, had done resolutions or goals around limiting or curbing or stopping or halting their alcohol consumption. But to me, I almost want to like go back up, back up, back up and say like, why are you drinking? Yeah. Like, are we, is is it just going to be replaced by something else? Are we are we avoiding something? Well, I think that number one, boredom, and number two, stress. There you go. Yeah. Boredom and stress are probably big ones. So if those things are not being addressed, we're just having a drink. Instead, we're just going to, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. So I, I just wonder, like, maybe, and this is going to sound really zenny zenny bullshit, but, like, maybe meditate or maybe go for a walk. And then afterwards, if you still feel like having a beer, go for it. I was going to ask if it's cool to go for a walk with a beer, but that might defeat the purpose. Road, road drinks. <laughs> road I love pops. It. Yeah. Road, road pops. pops. Sam, you want to do dry Feb? Well, I'm getting married in February. Ooh. So <laughs> like, no, never mind. I feel like that blows a hole in some wedding plans. It blows a hole because you got to be, you got to have, now people are going to talk about how I'm normalizing alcohol and all these types of things. Let's just be real for a second. Um, you have to be celebratory drinks ahead of time, night of celebratory drinks the, the week after. Uh, yes. No, no, Kelly would never forgive me if I yeah. convinced you to try to attempt dry February the month of your wedding. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. And I think that Walker's maybe afraid Hoyles that if he meets the girl of his dreams while he's in dry February and she's not a drinker, that it might have to influence his lifestyle in ways that he's not totally comfortable longer term. You know, what happens if he falls in love with somebody that only pairs food with kombucha? What's he going to do for the rest of his life? Oh, man, I like I pair food with soda water and all the different flavors. I mean, there are options. You know, there's about it's about compromise, Jespo. Yeah, I know. Don't I know? Don't I know, Hoyles? What did you make of the of the women's health roundtable? That was some fascinating stuff. And then Tegan drops in about halfway through. She goes, "Oh yeah, by the way, I survived cancer this pandemic." I, 
Yeah, that was amazing. Hearing about HPV, and I just went and looked back, and that was on our November 8th episode is when we had our roundtable about HPV and cancer and screenings. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I didn't expect, but it, it makes total sense that people are avoiding, I mean, looking for any excuse to avoid their, yeah. their annual checkups. I mean, it's a pain in the ass, and oh, I'm fine. I'm fine, but I think the the idea is is getting or maintaining a baseline. Yeah. So then we know, you know, if something is slightly off, we can we have the the numbers to to match up against. So I, that was the most surprising thing to me is that people are just avoiding hospitals. Which I always I always the, think when when you when you get to the point of of the annual physical, and I kind of made a commitment to some of my best friends and to my wife that I'd get one every year. Um, it's going to be a little That's bit great. more difficult, a little more complicated this year. I can, I can overcome it, but my doctor is one of those that's left a uh, young guy. My doctor was my age and he's gone, um, had enough, uh, but I'll find another one. I think of my uncle Robin, who, when he was my age, he was mid forties, healthy guy. Um, people will say that this is not an indicator of health, Ryan, but sometimes it is packs, six pack, nice pipes, like guys, a healthy dude, um, just had a kind of a normal Went into his doctor's office for his, his uh, annual mid-40s, diagnosed with prostate cancer, and was able to beat it. And he's living a, a healthy life now. But it's I always think that if you don't get there for your annual, and if you're not the type of person that's inclined to go see your doctor on a semi-regular, you know, an annual basis, if you do have early-stage cancer, that's just one example. It's going to continue to just fester and grow and go unchecked for, what, another year? Until the time that you may go see the doctor again. I mean, I, you, what are you? What am I trying to scare you? No, but I mean, that's just that's how it goes, right? Not to speak for Tegan Gaylor, who is with us now that she's gone. But what if she hadn't gone to see her doctor? She's sitting here doing this interview right now with cervical cancer and has no idea. Well, that's the type of stuff that puts the fear of God in you, right? A lot of talk on our live chat about drinking right now, and, and more specifically, many of you that that have given it up. This is great. You know, Sharon says I don't partake anymore. I drank enough back in the day. <laughs> MDJ says they've had a dry pandemic. Great job. James says I stopped drinking with any regularity when the hangovers hurt too much and all the time. Linda Ray quit all booze in 2017. Lost weight says she feels great. Fantastic. Ashley says I am one of those that has replaced my red wine with kombucha. Fantastic stuff. That's great to hear. You got to do what's right for you. I'm going to get to a couple emails in just a second. Um, These are pretty serious. Obviously, following my conversation with Ben Freeman yesterday about Jewish pride, he talked a lot about Jew hate. Uh, Those emails coming up in just a second. I wanted to remind you that our friends at Kubi Energy are hiring right now. This is their spring hiring blitz. If you're looking for a change in your career, if you're underemployed or unemployed, but you know you bring a lot to a team environment, they're looking for you. They're hiring on the sales side and on the installer side, which means that journeyman electricians and electrical apprentices, well, they're going to be hiring up to 25 of them all in, 14 of them right now. You go, well, I'm just at the very beginning of my career, I don't, or I don't even have my ticket yet, or I'm not even an apprentice yet. They're looking for the people that'll still be there with them, contributing to building what they're building on solar infrastructure, solar energy solutions. If they find the right person, they'll make sure you have the right opportunity. I might be speaking right to you right now. huh? Kubienergy.ca is where you can get in touch with them and find out more about their spring hiring. Our friends at Local Waste, 
Keeping it local in construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. 2022 is a huge year for them. They're expanding their footprint across the prairies in Alberta and Saskatchewan with announcements of new communities being added on what seems like an almost bi-weekly basis. You can contact them at localwaste.ca. They love to compete for your business. If you have a small business, maybe you're doing a home renovation, maybe you got a big, huge hotel that you're managing, they'd love to find out how they can bring your payments down and increase the quality of your service via localwaste.ca. Our official Real Talk Wine of the Month is Kendall Jackson. You can learn more about this iconic West Coast Vineyard at KJ.com, including their commitment to sustainability. I absolutely love this. What they're doing with water conservation, solar power, renewable energy, land preservation. And of course, they've been honored in big ways. You can learn more about this family owned and operated business. One of the most iconic vineyards in the United States. You can get it wherever you find fine wine here in Western Canada at KJ.com. Ask for Kendall Jackson wherever you get your wine. And our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you, if you've got a hankering for DQ treats, maybe you'd prefer to take them home to have them at your availability at your convenience why not put a box of dilly bars a a box of dq ice cream sandwiches in the freezer this month you mentioned real talk or me ryan jesperson at the dairy queens of palisades nemeo newcastle westmount and baseline road you can buy one box of ice cream sandwiches or dilly bars and get the second one free at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park Sarah Hoyles is keeping an eye on other developments. Uh, what's making news uh, today? And, and before we get into the stories that you're following, Sarah, I wanted to follow up and provide the final results for our unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll yesterday. This on the uh, Truckers for Freedom rally, this convoy that's making its way across the country to Ottawa to protest the vaccine mandate that Canada has. The Americans have the same one. I commented on it yesterday. Here it is. This was, quite frankly, uh, perhaps an enlightening survey result, but kind of boring. It was one of those where by the time we had three or four or five hundred votes, the results held true all the way through to our final results with more than 5,200 votes where 81% of respondents told us they do not support the convoy. 12% told us that they do. 5% acknowledge they have no idea what's up and 2% elected other to leave a comment. And they told us how they were feeling about that truck convoy. I thought it was poignant. A couple of people uh, noting yesterday that 82% is, is a matter of fact, a little bit lower than the general vaccination rate across Canada, which is hovering around 85, 90%, depending on where you look. Um, so though it is an unscientific survey, I wouldn't be surprised if approximately four out of five Canadians look at that convoy and kind of roll their eyes. I mean, I saw all different kinds of posts and responses yesterday. Uh, one of them being that, you know, this trucker convoy is a white nationalist movement. And I was like, huh, I actually agree with that. <laughs> I think that that basically sums it up real nice. Um, we'll actually have a trucker on the show tomorrow. Our pal, uh, Mike Duggan, who has been on the show before, he is a, a truck driver and he'll be joining us to talk about Mike, it. Mike uh, talked to us from the cab of his truck when he was stranded in BC, right? Due to the landslides. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be interested to dig into that assertion. I've seen some people saying that some of the organizers of this convoy mm-hmm. have ties to white nationalist movements, etc. Also, I think you got to be a little bit careful painting with a brush that broad. Uh, there's going to be 
mean, with it. there's well, I mean, but that's a pretty heavy thing to levy towards someone uh, to be calling a whole group of people white nationalists. Um, but certainly there have been elements of this truck convoy and, and ones prior that were problematic. And a lot of times you look at who the organizers are, and that's going to probably go a long way into forming some people's opinions. Um, I'll look forward to that conversation. Of course, we've got a bunch of people sending us emails too. We encourage that anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. What else are we following today, Sarah? What else is right oh. on your radar? Well, I mean, when we look at it, uh, talking of COVID and all that jazz, uh, Spotify has been called upon by Neil Young. Yeah. Neil Young! Yeah. And he basically said, it's Rogan or Young, not both on Spotify. Neil Young put up an open letter on his website saying, hey, he is spreading, Rogan is spreading fake, this is what he said, fake information about vaccines, potentially causing death to those who believe the disinformation being spread by them. He said, pick, you gotta pick. I don't think that this bodes very well for Neil Young on Spotify. You think? I, I mean, hate, does I, it, I, I it doesn't really matter though. It's Neil Young. He's, he's done. Like he's like, I don't mean he's done. Like he's washed up. He's amazing. I love Neil Young, yeah. Moon, blah, blah, blah. But he doesn't need the money from Spotify. Sure. So a matter of principle and he and he has has operated on matters of principle in past. He's been very critical of uh, of Alberta's oil sands. As a result, he famously has the Lincoln Continental that runs on biodiesel. Uh, Neil Young, a, a man of conviction. Joe Rogan is Spotify's hundred million dollar man. Hey, Sam, like, I don't know. I think if Spotify was forced to choose Neil Young or Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan's Rogan. got the most downloaded podcast on planet Earth right now. Well, Spotify also really doesn't make money off of music. That's why they're so into podcasts right now. Like they make tons of money off of joe rogan so i mean like it's fine i don't want to put words in my mouth spotify loves this the fact that there's controversy totally. just adding listeners to their platform it's garbage and it's actually kind of funny because when i read this yesterday i kind of cheered i was like yeah way to go neil young until i realized i like neil young and i use spotify so i guess that locks me out so uh dusted off a few records instead hoyles did i ever tell you that neil young up until uh the tragically hips man machine poem tour their farewell tour that neil young at rock in rio uh in in uh the early two, the 2000 2001 uh was the greatest concert of my life did i ever tell you so guys that so he's just he's just now he's just a, he's, he's bumped down to number two i can't see anybody ever knocking down the hip and gourd from number one um, I'll never attend a better concert in my life and I can't see anybody beating Cheryl Crow opening for Dave Matthews opening for Neil Young with 300,000 people in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. I don't see that. Uh, Neil, he came out Not and he's, he's hammering. He's, he's playing this guitar. So there's 300,000 people. Like I remember doing like a quick, I was like just doing three, six, like just looking around me, just twirling around, just looking around me. It's like a whole city of people. 300,000 people. So Neil Young, he starts playing this guitar solo and he starts hammering. It's like Neil freaking Young. He's hammering away and he breaks a string and, and, you know, the crowd's going nuts and he's hammering away. He breaks another string and like the strings are just sort of flailing from the, you know, I'm not, I don't have all the phrases, right? Not from the fretboard, but you know what I mean? Like the, the, the two's broken. From the tuning pegs. The tuning pegs and the three, you know, and then breaks another string and then it becomes very obvious that Neil Young is going to keep playing until he breaks every string on the guitar <laughs> and he finally gets down to the stage where he's just hammering away on the final string and he's just going nuts and the whole crowd's going nuts. I got to be careful about the framing of that shot and what I was just doing, playing the guitar there. If you're watching this on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> he's just going at it just hammering away 
And the whole crowd is going nuts as it builds and it builds and it builds. And then snap, the final string goes and the place just goes bananas. I was like, what is even happening right now? Is this real life? And then when he started coming at Alberta and the oil sands and everything, and I'm on conservative radio and I'm going, ah, geez, everybody wants to take a big steaming dump on Neil Young right now. And I, ah, I know a lot of people felt like that was a pretty tough one, right? It was, it was like when Katie Lang started suggesting you didn't need to have beef every single day. <laughs> Katie Lang suggested you don't have, need to have red meat every single meal. And people thought it might be treasonous. Ugh. I'm okay. excited to see, though, because I feel like, I mean, there's the reference of the 270 plus doctors yeah. who we actually heard from last week. Uh, that was, you know, in reference to what Neil Young has done with Spotify. So I feel like there's momentum building and I'm hoping that, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world, because she's been known to get a little political at times. I'd love to see there be, you know, maybe there will be a momentum that's building and Spotify might, might have to do or say something about it yeah i mean this this obviously like you said too this stuff benefits joe rogan um Mm. his career's really kind of taken a weird it's kind of taken (laughs) a a hard swerve joe rogan used to be he was the host of fear factory he's a likable guy he's like the mma he was a stand-up comedian like now it's just like what the fuck is the guy doing i feel like all of those things track i don't know Uh, yeah maybe that's a fair point, too. How about this from O'Malley on the chat? Great point, says Neil Young himself is a polio survivor, so no surprise he's doing this. He knows the value and the power of vaccines and uh, the idiocy of people like Joe Rogan. <laughs> Meantime, Deb says, I despise Spotify because it doesn't pay their artists fairly. I'm not sure. I should do some research on that. Um, before we get to this, I want to get to a couple of your emails before we wrap. Our friends at Friesen Brothers wanted me to remind you that they've got their pick five for $25 event on right now. You can mix and match from over 40 specially selected cuts of meat. Mix and match from over 40 of them, plus a thousand smart shopper bonus points with every pick five purchase. You can find out more details online at Friesen.com. And don't forget about their Alberta family meals. You can choose from Alberta pork, beef, or Alberta chicken. Each meal includes buns, two large sides, plus 5,000 Smart Shopper bonus points with every purchase. And keep in mind, Toonies for Tummies is running right now. It's a great fundraiser through till February 3rd, asking all Friesen Brothers customers to donate two bucks to assist local student nutrition programs in Alberta communities. Friesen Brothers is matching all donations up to $5,000. You can learn more at Friesen.com. Well, Our conversation yesterday uh, on this show, talking to Ben Freeman, an author out of Hong Kong, uh, his book, Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People. Uh, We talked about a number of things. If you missed the interview, I encourage you to check it out. It prompted uh, some emails. I want to get to two of them right now. First one from Fatima, who wrote in to say your your guest, Ben Freeman, uh, was completely correct. In his condemnation of anti-Semitic tweets like Hitler was right. He talked about how there were thousands and thousands of them. He said any form of anti-Semitism is abhorrent and unacceptable, but taking that narrative and applying it to the settler colonial state of Israel to frame Israel, the land or the government as the collective Jew is a false equivalency and a dangerous one. It allows the government and armed forces to remain unchecked and unquestioned as they continue to displace and dispossess Palestinians from their ancestral homeland, regardless of their faith. Um, Fatima had commented uh, during the interview and I read her comment. She said, in addition, he replying to my note about this conflict, not being about uh, not being about religion, but about colonialism. 
He replied that my assertion was racist and calling for the destruction of a country. This conflation, this claim is outrageous. He claimed it's fine to criticize the Israeli government. But when I did just that, he claimed it was racist and said I was calling for destruction. How then should one criticize a government without being accused of anti-Semitism if that government and land are seen or to be seen as the collective Jew? All this in the same week as mass graves are being uncovered under popular Israeli beaches. The real story of what happened and continues to happen to Palestinians is coming to light. And those who tell those stories cannot wholesale be dismissed as anti-Semitic. If your guest were to take his own advice and look inward, challenge himself and confront his own bias, he might see that criticizing the policies of a nation state cannot and should not have anything to do with the religion of that state. Just like the criticism of the Saudi Arabian government, which we often do, would not and should not be considered Islamophobic. That from from Fatima. And this one from Jenny. Uh, who says, I want to begin by saying that I am a Jew who was born in Alberta and I've lived my whole life here. Uh, I listened to your interview with Ben M. Freeman with great interest as I knew he was giving a presentation on the 27th with the Calgary and Edmonton Public Libraries, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. She says, I've been meaning to pick up his book for some time now. I'd also like to say before I really begin my email, Ryan says, Jenny, that I fully support a Palestinian state and the occupation But here's the thing. Jenny says, I shouldn't have to say that. That should be something I don't even have to consider having to say. So people will listen to me and consider my point of view beyond dismissing it because they assume that because I'm a Jew, I obviously support Israel's every move. Can we stop and take a minute to consider how anti-Semitic that is? How often do folks ask uh, random people of East Asian descent whether or not they support the Chinese government before they'll take what they say on end Asian hate seriously? Can we just take a second to appreciate how utterly absurd this is? Jenny says, well, I enjoyed Mr. Freeman's interview. And I thought he lent a great deal of nuance to a discussion that I often find to be very one dimensional. I have to admit to making a critical error while scrolling down to try to see the title of one of the recommended videos in the sidebar. I saw the video's comment section to say it was disheartening is an understatement. Ryan, when I go to Shoal this weekend, there will be an armed guard at the door. If you're not a member or not attending with a member, you would not be permitted to enter the building, not to get out of the weather, not to use the facilities, and certainly not for a cup of tea. Anti-Semitism, a.k.a. Jew hate, is alive and well in Canada, and it shows no signs of slowing down. I can't believe I have to say this, says Jenny, but diaspora Jews are not automatically Israeli. Palestine should never come up in conversations of anti-Semitism. Zionism should never come up in discussions of anti-Semitism. Neither of those things should ever be used as an excuse to dismiss Jews talking about anti-Semitism out of hand, trying to use Palestine or Zionism as an excuse to breeze past anti-Semitism is anti-Semitic. I am completely exhausted by all of this. And I truly wish I had never taken any interest at all in the stupid title of that stupid recommended video. That from Jenny. I'm going to let those sit. If you'd like to respond to what you've heard, I encourage you to do so. Try to make some time almost every single episode of Real Talk to, to share the floor, to pass the mic, to ensure that people feel like their voices are being heard that their perspectives are being considered and will continue to do so coming up on tomorrow's show as mentioned uh, sarah hoyles has lined up an interview we're going to
talk to a trucker about what's going on from his perspective with this convoy, with supply chain challenges and everything else. Plus, Dr. Maria Popova will be joining us. We're going to take a look at Ukraine, Russia and that whole story. A professor of political science at McGill University coming up tomorrow. I'll talk to you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.